All right. Yeah, this is nice. So yeah, so first time. So you're either going to walk out of here thinking, wow, that's quite a debut. You're going to be thinking, wow, that's quite a debut. Oh, boy. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, but I'm excited to be here, grateful for the opportunity uh, Pastor PJ presented to me to you know, come here and preach. Uh, April, he told me April 7th, 2019, and this was back in like December or January, which essentially when you're looking forward to preaching, you know, your first time ever, two, three months is like two, three years. This is, this is, it's gone really slow. Here's a secret how to make time slow down. Just be told you're going to preach in like three months. And it goes really, really slow. So, uh, but I'm really excited to be here, to be standing up here in front of you all. Love the Third Eye Ministry. Grateful for for this ministry uh, and the leadership here, um, and just just grateful to be here. So, having said all that, I figure, what's a better way to start things off in a debut sermon for somebody than to talk about student loan debt? Right? Does that seem like a good way to kick things off? Does that seem like a good way to start? Uh, a sermon, let alone be standing in front of you for the first time, to really just bum you. Can I, can I bum you out for a second? Is that a good way to start things? Right? 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 We don't be bummed? All right. So I was doing some research and kind of looking through how I wanted to approach tonight's, you know, tonight's lesson, tonight's sermon, and I came across an article from Forbes uh, about student loan debt. $1.5 trillion. That's a TR, not a million not billion, we're talking trillion, $1.5 trillion. That is the collective amount of student loan debt that is owed right now in America by 44 million people. Maybe some of you in this room are a part of that 44 million. I am. I went to school. I got a couple degrees. I'm still paying for them all these years later, right? Student loan debt is the highest it's ever been, highest it's ever been. It's the number two consumer debt category behind only mortgages, and we know what mortgages are, how expensive homes can be. Student loan debt is creeping up and creeping up and creeping up, $1.5 trillion. If you graduated in the class of 2017, you owe on average 29 grand. That's, that's the average across the board in the United States of America. You owe that amount. The under 30 group, many of you in here, if not all of you in here for the most part, you're leading the way. Congratulations. You're number one. You're number one. 16.8 million of you of the 44 million. You're number one. You're leading the way. That's how many 30s and unders owe as part of the 1.5 trillion. But fear not, or actually, you should be, be fearful because us number twos are coming for you. Us 30-somethings, we're right there, number two. 13.5 million of us are part of that student loan debt as well. So it's a bummer, right? Are we bummed? This is, this is not cool. But we're grateful. Yeah, you take us to loan, you go to college, all that good stuff. But, but it's debt. So some of you know what it's like to have debt, to have financial debt. Maybe it's not student loans. Maybe you're in this room right now and you don't have student loans. Well done. Wish I had gotten advice from you back when I was in college. Nobody told me not to do that, right? Um, but you have some sort of debt. There's no way. You, I mean, maybe you don't, but for the most part, I'm going to take a wild guess here and say that you do. If you don't have student loan debt, you're paying off a car. Maybe you owe a buddy money, right? You, you, you told them you're going to Venmo them for like three weeks now and you haven't Venmo debt. You owe them money. You owe them money. That's debt. You are in debt to that person. That 15 bucks through Venmo has not been paid, right? You owe them money. You're in debt. A lot of us are in debt, and it's, it's a problem, right? It's, it, I mean, the numbers you know, say it. At one point, you know, that $1.5 trillion in student loan debt is a huge problem. The point of, uh, of me kind of bringing that up, right, is $1.5 trillion. That's not ever going to be paid. That is never going to be zeroed out, right? Can we, can we all agree on that, right? Even if everybody's like, you know what, today I'm going to pay my loans on time. Every single person in America, those 44 million people all decide in unison, because you know how this country works, we're all going to decide something in unison, and then we're going to act it out calmly, willfully. We're going to do that, right? We're all going to pay off our student loan debt. Let's do this, guys. Who's with me? I'm going to go. I'm going to start. 
couple of days from now. I'll let you know when I'm ready. I got to move some things around, call some some brokers, move some funds. But um, we're not all going to do that. Uh, 1.5 trillion dollars. That's not ever going to be paid off. Sure, chunks will be paid off here and there. The point is that this debt is a you're in a, it's a pit. You're in a pit, and you cannot climb your way out of this debt. So we read tonight the parable of the two debtors, right? Except in this scenario, as we learn from Jesus and we read his words in our Bibles, we're not talking student loan debt, right? We're talking much, much greater than that, something much more serious and impactful and real and eternal, right? Right? Your student loan, your student loan debt, if you die tomorrow, guess what? You don't have to pay it. Someone else might have to, but you don't have to, right? So we're talking something eternal. We're talking an eternal debt tonight. So turn with me to Luke chapter 7. We're going to look at verse 41. And while we do that, while you're turning there, I'm just going to set the scene a little bit. We're not going to walk through every single verse uh, of, of what kind of leads up to this parable we're going to look at tonight about the moneylender and the two debtors. But let's at least set the scene real quick and look at what Jesus is getting at here, right? So he's been invited to the home of a Pharisee, a Pharisee named Simon. So he's reclining at table. He's doing so. He's there. He, he's, this has happened before. He's, he's, you know, he's there to, to have a meal with this Pharisee. And this sinful woman comes walking in. You see in verse 37, Luke 7, 37, a woman of the city. She was a sinner. When she learned that he, Jesus, was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him, she anointed his feet. She was crying on his feet. She wiped his feet, her, his, her tears on his feet with her hair, and showing this complete love and devotion to him. So you know what the Pharisee's going to do, right? Some of the Pharisees looking at this, what's happening, and he says to himself, you ever say to him, like, hey, myself, myself I say, right? This is what he's saying. If this man were a prophet, so he's questioning Jesus now because of this simple woman and what she's doing and her reaction. He would have known who and what sort of woman this is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus turns to him, answers him, and he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. Has anybody ever had somebody say, I have something to say to you? They don't follow that up with, I like pizza. It's always followed with something very important, right? You're not going to just be like, yeah, I have something to say to you. Uh, the grass needs to be cut today. No, it's like, I have something to say to you. Your car is being towed, like right now, out there on the side of the, of the 120 East Building. It's being towed. I have something to say to you. You better go. Something important. And when he does that, he, he says to Simon, our text tonight, Luke 7, 41 through 43. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, and he's going to do it correctly. The one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus says to him, you have judged rightly. Good job by the Pharisee to, to make that judgment. So what we see happens next in the next few verses, seven, you know, Luke 7, 44 through 50, is that you know, Jesus says to Simon, he's like, look, look what, she, look what she did for me, right? Here's this woman of the city, this sinful woman, whatever, she, whatever her transgressions are, she came in and she is so incredibly grateful, so incredibly in love with me that she is willing to come in here amongst you and to be judged by you and to, and to step into your home here and to come and, and anoint my feet with oil and to wipe her tears on my feet with her hair and just to be in that scenario and to show that love. That's what she did. You didn't do that. You didn't even offer me water. What are you doing? It says in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And then he, Jesus, turns to this woman and says, your sins are forgiven. 
And those who were with him at the table began to say among themselves, who is this? Who even forgives sins? And Jesus tells her that her faith has saved her to go in peace. We see in this parable tonight that it's not about the sinful life you've lived, right? We're not, this isn't based on whatever that track record is, who's got the greater sins for how we should respond to Jesus, how we should respond to God and his love for us. The main point of this parable is centered on the response to that canceled debt. So again, what I'll ask you, you know, let, let, you know, let's say you have that debt, you are in debt, you, you owe that Venmo payment, you owe that student loan, you owe that car payment, whatever it is, you owe 500 denarii, you owe 50 denarii, it doesn't matter. What's your response if it's canceled out? If I said, hey, not only am I a first time uh, you know, preacher tonight, I'm also really wealthy, I'm paying off all your debt in the room. That, that sounds pretty good. You definitely would leave here happy about that, regardless of how the sermon goes. I'm going to cancel that for you, right? I think you'd love me pretty good, wouldn't you? You'd, you'd be walking out of here, you'd be skipping out of here when this is over. I don't, does anybody skip anymore? Yeah, you'd just skip in that scenario. You'd learn to skip real quick if I canceled all the debt you own. Spoiler, I can't, so please don't take that from this. That's not in the application questions. Um, but how would you react? What does your life look like, right? How are you living your life? How, how, are you, how are you showing that love to God? That's the question. What should your life look like if it doesn't already? So I was in college, which now is a long time ago, it's seeming like. Um, I'm not going to say exactly how long ago, but it was a while ago. And uh, I remember going to college. I'm from Florida originally. Went to Florida State. Go Knowles. And uh, which many people in California don't even know what that means. So I'll just I'll ride it, and you know what I'm talking about. Um, so I went off to college, and I'm 18. I'm like, I know what I'm doing. I'm in charge. I know how this is going to go. I'm I'm on top of the world. Things are going to go really well for me. I'm smart. I'm 18. I'm in college, living on my own for the first time. I had a credit card in high school. I had a debit card with my parents. They, they, they gave it to me. That was the way they, they helped me learn about you know, money management, those kind of things. At least I, they think they taught me that. I thought I knew that. And so I'm like, you know what? It's a true sign of a man on his own. I'm going to get a credit card by myself. And so in Tallahassee, Florida, Saturdays in the fall, one thing is happening. It's college football, right? And so on a Saturday, you can walk around town. The whole town shuts down. It's, it's a whole different vibe in the southeast with, with college football. Um, the whole town shuts down. You're walking around. You go to the game. There's all kinds of things going on. But one of the common things are vendors are set up around campus, specifically around the football stadium. So I'm walking by the football stadium. Game's in a couple hours, and I see this booth over there. It's like this shining light on this booth. And it's Bank of America offering a college credit card, right? Get your, get your credit card. Instant approval. Sounds pretty good. Instantly approved. That's going to be amazing. So I go over there. I start filling out the information. The guy working the booth is so happy to see me. He, like, this guy wanted me to have a credit card. I'm thinking, wow, he's very nice. He wants me to have a credit card. That's great of him. Man, it's like goodness of his heart. He just wants me to have credit. That's amazing. He wants me to build my credit and make sound financial decisions the rest of my life. Wow. This guy's amazing. And so I get the card. I sign up for it. It comes in the mail three or four weeks later, whatever it is. comes in the mail. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's got the football stadium on it. It's got the, the FSU logo in the corner, Visa logo on the, on the other corner. It says Bank of America. It says Brandon K. Miller. Actually, it says Brandon K. Malor. It's very, very fancy. That's right. So I get the card. It's got a $2,000 limit. I'm thinking, wow, I go to Best Buy right now, and I can buy something for $2,000. This is going to be great. It's a really good idea. I should do that. 
I didn't do that. I made smart choices. I bought Taco Bell here or there. I might have bought my future wife something here or there. Small incremental purchases. I'm like, I'll continue to pay this down. I'm going to do my thing here. I'm going to, I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm making these good choices, pay it off, build my credit. It's going to be great. Well, what happens is you keep doing that and you're like, yeah, I'll pay, I'll, the Venmo scenario, I'll, I'll pay back soon. And all of a sudden, the bill keeps racking up and racking up. And you're making monthly payments. You're thinking, I got this. I know what I'm doing. I'm making my monthly payments. Well, the catch is that when you're making the minimum monthly payment and your interest rate is 25%, you're not going to pay that bill down. Let me just tell you that right now. I know from experience. So before I know it, I blink an eye and I have this debt that's like this $2,000 credit card that now is like at $2,400. I'm like, I didn't spend $2,400. The guy was so happy to give me this card because it was a 25% interest rate. He knew what I was going to do. He's been doing it all. You know, that's how they, that's how they do it. So the point of me telling you this story that is quite embarrassing. How can I make such terrible decisions? Is that I felt a heavy burden, right? I mean, all of a sudden, it's like the first thing. I'm, I'm riding high, feeling good. I'm going to make good decisions as an adult. And then I blink, and I'm waking up, and the first thing I think in the morning is, whew, I might have to call my dad and ask for some money to pay this credit card. Like, that's, you don't want to be thinking that way, right? So we have this burden. We owe something. We see in Luke 7, 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Denarius would be about a day's wage. So you're talking about about two years you know, uh, worth of wages over the course of, of what's owed and maybe two and a half months of work. But whatever it is, 500 or 50, two years, two and a half months, whatever that is, these debtors, they owe something to someone. They are in debt. They owe it. They, it has to be paid. So point number one tonight, let's write it down this way. We need to weigh the depths of your debt. Weigh the depths of your debt. We've been talking, you know, student loans tonight and credit cards, but the debt we are talking about in reality here and in the very real sense is the debt of sin, which has separated, separated you from God, right? That sin has separated you. And there's no way to dig your way out of that pit on your own. Just like I'm probably going to have to call my dad to get out of that credit card debt unless I get some higher paying job. I can't, I can't do this on my own. As human beings... Sin, you know, living in sin, we're guilty in the sight of a holy God, right? We just, we can't do it on our own. We cannot even approach him. We have an inherent sinful disposition, right? We know this. We know this from Genesis 3. We know this from the fall. These sins arise in our sinful hearts. We know that we are separated from God. You're in debt because you're born with that sinful heart. And the problem is, right, on top of that, is not only are you separated, but you're a slave to it. Right? You're a slave to that sin. You're a slave to that separation. John 8, 34 tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're enslaved to that debt, enslaved to that sin. You don't understand the weight of that burden. And I'm sure we've all felt that, right? I mean, I, I, you have to have felt it before. Maybe it's a small weight that you can kind of manage, or maybe it's a monster weight that you're carrying right now, but we felt that, whether it's financial or whether it's spiritual, whatever that may be, we have felt the weight. You know that feeling. It's like a black cloud hanging over you, right? You just kind of have that sense, kind of like how I wake up and think, oh, man, that, that credit card, you know, just like, should I done something different? Proverbs 14, 12 tells us what the cost of that debt is, right? This isn't paying the credit card back where they're just going to keep you know, adding on to the tab there, and I'm going to keep paying it and paying it and paying it and paying it and not move anywhere. 
The cost of our debt, the cost of our sin, is death. Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its way, but its end is the way to death. It's very serious. So when you talk about black cloud of debt, I'd like to assume that a certain individual who works not far up the road here, a little bit of a drive, doesn't know much about debt. At least I hope he doesn't. He should be making some very sound financial decisions that he doesn't have any financial debt. I'm talking about Mike Trout, right? Angels baseball player, superstar. If you heard the story, he signed a monster, monster, monster contract right before the season started, right? It's a huge contract, biggest, biggest sports contract, guaranteed deal. It's the biggest sports contract in American sports history. If he continues on this path, and, and let's just you know, just say maybe he just he retires at the end of this contract, he'll have made well over five hundred million dollars just from playing baseball. That's not endorsements. That's not everything else he's got going on. His investments, all those things. That's how much he's going to get paid. Very, very wealthy man, and it's a huge, huge contract. So, go go with me on this ride for a second. Let's just say squeaky clean Mike Trout is penalized for something. They're like, you know what? Here's your penalty. You're a rich guy. You get to pay that one point five trillion dollars off. Congratulations. You're a great dude. Thanks a lot. We're, we appreciate that. You're going to pay off the student loan debt for everybody. You're making a lot of money. If he were to take his annual contract, his like $39 million and change that he makes per year playing baseball, it would take him 38,000 years to pay the $1.5 trillion. So what does that mean? It means it's impossible. It's not going to be paid off. That money is not going to be paid off. And when we see and we realize and we know that that cannot be paid off, we read Luke 42 in the first part of that, that verse, and we understand how incredible this creditor is. When they could not pay, it says, he canceled the debt of both. He canceled the debt of both. That's point number two. Rejoice because God rescued you. He canceled the debt. An unpayable, impossible to pay back debt, God paid it off. God rescued you. We need to be rejoicing in that fact. I'm not done talking about student loans, sorry. But guess what? You can actually have them forgiven. You can actually have them wiped out. If anybody knew that. There's a couple different ways to do it. One of them is called a public service loan forgiveness program. Bunch of hoops to jump through. A lot of things you have to do to make this happen. But if you fit a very certain, very small set of criteria, you can apply to have your loans forgiven. I was looking at the stats of this. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Like, what do I need to do? Like, how, how do we do that? I'll, I'll come up here and I'll, I'll share some financial wisdom as well, and we'll, we'll start getting some things canceled out. But as of October 2018, only 95, well, 95.5% of applicants had been denied. They went through the process. So we're talking only 4.5% had actually been approved. 78% were just flat out denied. Like, you're denied, and whatever the reasons were, you're denied. You're not, you're not getting this public you know, service student loan debt program. You're, you, you can't do it. About 20 or so percent didn't fill the form out right. So they're not doing themselves any favors, but they just, they're denied because you didn't fill the form out right. Sorry. So f only 4.5% were accepted as of October 2018. The acceptance rate of forgiveness through Jesus Christ is 100%. It's 100%. And you don't have to fill the, you, you can, there's no form to fill out. We know the recipe here. We know what you have to do. If you've truly repented of your sins, and you've put your trust, your complete trust, your complete faith, that, that complete trust, that complete faith that is in your heart, that is deep inside of you, 
100% forgiven. Let's look at Colossians 2 together. Colossians 2, chapter, or excuse me, Colossians 2, and we'll look at 13, 14. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. You were 100% forgiven because Christ died for your sins. He died for you. He rescued you. He's that, he's that lifeline, right? You're in that pit, and you see the little rope ladder come over the side, right? You see a, like a jungle vine that comes down in the pit. You're in the pit. Hey, we're going to help you. Here's a, here's a vine. Christ is that lifeline. He's the one that pulled you out through his death on the cross. We read in John 8, 34 about being slaves to sin, right? You're slave to that sin we talked about. But if you continue past John 8, 34 and 8, 35... In the 36, you read, you, you read this. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Your debt to God has been forgiven. Forgiveness is a gift of God's grace. We know that, right? You don't have to do that. He saved us. It's a pure show of grace by God. And we know that Jesus had to hang on a cross and bleed and die to make it happen. Ephesians 1.7 tells us that in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus Christ paid a ransom for you. He bore the penalty that was deserved. He paid that debt by doing so. The great and almighty God, the God, the, the God that created this universe that we live in, the God that created each, one, each and every one of you, he humbled himself and sent, he came, to, he, came, he came to earth as a human. He grew up, Jesus grew up as a human. He was tempted as a human, the same way we are tempted. But he lived a perfect life. He didn't sin. He didn't do the things that we do. And the response to that was, he was beaten and he was spit on and he was hung on that Roman execution rack and killed for our debt. If we look at Romans 5, verse 17, starting there, we read about how we know sin started with Adam. We know sin started in that, in that Garden of Eden. And then we see what happens when Jesus, the God-man himself, cancels that out. Romans 5, 17 tells us, For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as one, by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Verse 21 tells us, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You've been granted eternal life by responding to God with repentance and faith. 
been rescued from that pit. So the question now that we have to ask, and really the, the point of tonight we want to focus on is, how do you respond to that free gift? What, what is your response, right? I made a joke earlier about you skipping out of here if I hypothetically paid some debt you owe. But it's so much more than that when it comes to God and what he has done for you. How do you respond to that canceled debt? If you're in this room right now and you haven't already done so, if you haven't already realized, or maybe you realize but you haven't quite done yet anything to rectify this situation, you need to repent, right? You need to confess your sins to a gracious God that showed such love and mercy to us to sacrifice his son. You need to put your full trust and faith in him. And then you need to do what I'm going to tell your, your pals in here to do, right? If you're saved, you need to respond to God's incredible love with incredible love, right? You can't respond in the same manner of love that he does, but you can respond in your own way. In Luke 7:42, this is the second half of, of that verse into 43. Let's look at the final you know, two parts here of our, of our verses tonight. It says, now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you've judged rightly. Yeah, the one with the larger debt is going to be, is, is incredibly grateful, right? They're going to love him that much more. We've had 500 denarii canceled. We've had way more than that canceled. You see the sinful woman, she understood Jesus was offering life-saving forgiveness. She got it. She understood. She showed that response by what, by, in a way that she could do it. She came in. She fell at his feet. She anointed them. She cried on them. She wiped them. She responded the way we should respond. We don't have the opportunity to respond by doing that, by, by falling at Jesus' feet in person and anointing his feet. We'll fall at his feet someday. But right now, we have to, we have to ask ourselves, are we, who are we? Are we the Pharisee or are we the sinful woman? How are we going to respond to God? As part of my preparation for tonight, I was thinking about you know, just a couple different things, but I, I thought, you know, I'm actually interested to kind of read some stories of people who have actually had their lives physically saved here on earth, right? Some, some, somebody saved their life, whether it was, you know, and you can read, just Google it, and there's somebody is saving somebody's life right now. Right? It's just, it's all over. It's great. People, have, you know, physically their lives are being saved. You have people, you know, jumping in front of things for people and doing all kinds of things. It's incredible. And if you look at those stories, variety of, of severity, variety of scenarios, variety of demographics across the country, every one of those news articles that recaps what happened, they'll end the exact same way. Every single one of them. The events leading up to it and exactly what transpired are all different. But, the, but the, the conclusion of that is always the same. And it's the person who was saved and their family and their friends responding to the stranger who saved them with this incredible love, this incredible just gratitude. Like, you saved my life. I'm going to shower you with love and praise and gifts and all these things. And it makes sense, right? They saved their life. you got a child who's pulled out of a pool and saved. The mom is forever grateful to the lifeguard who saved them or the stranger who happened to be walking by and jumped in. Just that feeling that, Wow, like, you, you, you saved my life. You saved my son's life. You saved my friend's life. I love you. We've all, again, if we've repented, put our trust, faith in God, and God is offering that to anybody who's willing to do that. We've all had our lives saved, and, that's, and, and it's so much more. So that brings us to point three, our response to that, right? This, the news article's in that same way where they're, they're saying, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this for this person. I'm going to, you know, X, Y, Z, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, this is how I'm going to show my love to this person who saved my life. But point number three tonight, we need to live 
to love God. Everything we do should be showing that love to God. We need to live to love God. We love because God first loved us. So we to live to God. That needs to be the response to the cancellation of the debt. So how do you do that? What's, what's the way to do that? Again, you can't anoint Jesus' feet in person, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. How are you living your life to show your love for God for doing that? Is it pleasing to him? Run back in your mind right now before you got here tonight, before you walked in here, and you're like, yeah, third night, here we go, this is going to be awesome. What did you do before this? What did you do when you woke up? If you take stock of your life and look at, you know... Don't go minute by minute. Go out. Let's make it easy. Go hour by hour. Can you trace anything back today that wasn't pleasing to God? Can you trace the things that were pleasing to God? You know, what did you do today? Did your actions glorify him? Did you read the Bible today? Have you read it yet? If you haven't, that's okay. There's still time. Have you prayed yet today? Have you been in communication with this holy God, this, this debt canceller? In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus was asked by a scribe the most important commandment. And it's interesting, if you look what he said, Mark 12, starting at verse 29, he answered, you know, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and all your mind, and with all your strength. But the second is this. So he's asked, what's the, first, what's the most important one? He says it, and then he's like, but you keep listening. The second is this. You should love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. He had, he had to mention those two. We need to be living to love God by loving our neighbors, the people in this room, the strangers outside, the, the people who go to Compass that maybe you don't know. And there's practical ways to do that. And we go to a church that has three words emblazoned on the website. It's, it's the calling, you know, the, the, the marching orders for Compass 2020. Reach, teach, and train. That's not reserved for the pastors here. That's not reserved for the ministry leaders here. Those, those three things that we should be doing are ways we show our love to God. We can all do them, and it's not hard. So I, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. Who are you reaching, right? Who are you reaching right now? Are you sharing the gospel? At school? You're sharing it at work? If you look around this room, can you point to anybody in this room that you invited to third nine? Is there anybody here that was actually, you've, you've invited to come to this ministry? What about Compass? Just Compass, not, not even this ministry. Did you, have you ever invited anybody to Compass? We've got Easter coming up. Sounds like a pretty good time to invite some people to church, right? We have a whole initiative going on. Pastor Hayden is leading an outreach program this coming Saturday, 8.30 in the morning, Compass Room. Come, show up. He'll give you a map. You go out in the community, and you invite people to Easter services and to extravaganza and to Good Friday and all the, the incredible things that are going on over the course of Easter weekend. And you come back and you get some food because we all love food. 
Those are the things that you can be doing to reach people. Who are you teaching? Are you taking anybody through partners right now? Is there anybody that you, you've maybe had on your mind? Like, I, I should ask them. I should see if they want to go through partners. Are you holding anybody accountable? Could be, could be simple things. I have an accountability partner who's in this room right now. We make sure that we're awake every morning and that we're praying and doing our DBR. Not, it's not difficult. Who are you training, right? You can be training. You can be, be, you can be, you're being trained and you can be training. You can do both of those things. In your small groups, are you sitting back and, and kind of remaining quiet? Or you speak it up and, and working to build others up as well and, and, and sharing information? It's all part of the training process, equipping brothers and sisters on how to live more godly lives, and in turn we show God an incredible love back. All these things show God that. We have an incredible privilege to respond to God's love by doing each of these things, reaching, teaching, and training. So I'm a parent. I have two kids, a six, almost seven-year-old, and a nine-year-old. And fun fact, my wife and I, we talk with them every night about debt. You're like, wow, oh, he's going to help them. They're not going to make any financial decisions, you know, wrong decisions later on. He's training up super early. That's great. Or you're thinking, wow, that guy's a wacko. Um, we're not talking financial debt. We'll, we'll, we'll save that for later. Although we are teaching them how to wisely not buy things at Bible bookstore that are going to get tossed in the trash in a few days. It's not going so well. Um, but we do read about debt. We get into God's word. We see what is owed to God by reading the Bible, and we see how it is canceled in every story we read. So we have the Jesus Storybook Bible, which it's a kid's book. It's in the books over here. If you go buy it for yourself, do it. It's fine. I'm I'm serious. You can learn so much from kids' books. I have learned so much about God through my kids. It's incredible. And even if you don't have kids, still go buy the book. Do it. No one's judging you. It's all good. What's interesting about this book, so it, it's the Bible, Jesus' story of the Bible. It's the Bible, but it's for kids, right? So you have all, the, all the, you know, the main stories of the Bible, nothing left out, but it's written for kids. And you look through the Bible, you read the stories, they're, they're written in such a way that's true to the word, but also helps them understand it. And they have pictures, which is great. Uh, it, it's really great. But what's interesting about this book is on the cover of the Jesus Storybook Bible, you have the, the pictures, and you have the, the, the title of the book, but in the, kind of these like flowing letters that kind of go across the book, it says every story whispers his name. It's really interesting. So you're reading the Old Testament. We're reading the Old Testament with my kids, and we're looking through all the stories, reading about creation, reading about Adam and Eve, reading about Cain and Abel, and we're pr- pressing forward with Noah and the ark, and we continue on, and we're, we're going you know, book by book in the Jesus Storybook Bible. And every single one of the Old Testament stories drops a hint about the Savior that is to come. You can find it in every story. It's, it's there. It's coming. It's part of the plan. The author didn't invent this. This is not something new. It's found in the Bible. Then we get to the New Testament, and my kids and I and my wife, we get to see the rescuer in action, right? It's, like an, act, it's an action story. We see the rescuing happen. We see the debt being canceled. And then the book ends how every book should end, to be continued. So every book should end. Keep it going. Well, it's a good book. So I'll end tonight by asking everybody in this room, does your life whisper Christ's name? Do you go out into the world and, sh- and live to love God 
through your actions, through conversations, through the way you handle your daily business and, and, and go through the, the trudges of daily life? Does your life whisper Jesus' name? If you weigh the debts that you owe and you rejoice that God saved you, you should respond by living to love God and your life should whisper his name. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful to you for saving us, for offering a Savior, for offering your Son up as a form of atonement to cancel out our debts. We know it's undeserved, Lord. We know that it's with sinful hearts that we are separated from you, but we see the rescuer in action. We see what happens when we weigh the debts of our sin and we respond to the gracious act of your love of saving us by living our lives to love you. I just pray, Lord, that tonight, after tonight, we all go about, everybody in this room, everybody in this room can do a better job tomorrow of living more Christ-like by showing that love to you, by interacting with the people in our lives, showing them love by pointing them to you. May our lives whisper your name every single day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.